higher state of being, our bi-monthly podcast about how you can live your best life. I'm Kat Cogren. And I'm Teddy Rockland, certified clinical hypnotherapist and registered psychotherapist. Together, we're going to explore topics that we all care about, like how to improve sleep, how to reduce anxiety, and how to have healthier relationships. We will be inviting expert guests to share their professional knowledge on each of these fascinating topics and so much more. At the end of each episode, we'll post a guided meditation so that you can reinforce the techniques and strategies that we've discussed. Each podcast, together with the associated guided meditation, will help you live your life more fully and reach a higher state of being. Welcome to a very special edition of Higher State of Being. I'm Kat Cogren, and joining me today, as always, is my co-host, Teddy Rockland. Teddy, how are you today? Hey, I am really good. I am so excited that we are doing this one, Kat. I know I say that every time, but this one in particular is timely and poignant. So, yay, we're exactly. doing it. Me too. And that's exactly why I called it a special edition, because this is coming out for the holidays, which that in itself makes it special. But this year, especially, I think we are seeing uh, a lot of this emotional time travel showing up and in lots of different ways. And I know, Teddy, you've been getting lots of calls on this exact subject. Yes. But first, I want to say emotional time travel. Um, what are we talking about here? Because obviously we're not getting in our, uh, our time traveling machine and heading back or forward into time. Oh, wouldn't that be fabulous, though? Because if we could actually time travel, I think this time of year, a lot of us would like to go back to the 1940s post-war when the holiday structure that we all assume was the actual uh, assumed structure. No place like home for the holidays and all the songs and all the guys were coming right, home. Right, right. That would be fantastic, but we can't do that. So instead, what we do is we uh, tend to put ourselves in the same family situation where our emotional responses are very much like they were when we were children. Um, uh, you find things that upset you that wouldn't normally upset you. Or if, if someone at work said that, you'd be like, what a jerk, and it wouldn't bother you at all. But when your cousin says it, it sends you spiraling. Or when your father gives you that look, it just knocks you over. So emotional time travel is why do we emotionally regress when we go home? No place like home for the holidays. Right. <laughs> this year especially. So exactly. So a couple of things. So this time travel seems to be going backwards in time, not mm -hmm. necessarily forward in time, going back to the things that triggered us when we were children or the things that were unpleasant or even in some extreme cases abusive as children and now Sorry. we're having to face them as adults again mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. yeah absolutely so i'm gonna just jump into our number our first question of the podcast and this might seem pretty obvious why can't we just suck it up for a couple of days <laughs> act like grown-ups you know yeah. And then move on. Why do we yeah. have to go into this craziness? So, oh, that is of, such such a reasonable question. And if reason had anything to do with emotions, it would be the easiest question to answer. But unfortunately, <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Um, <laughs> why do we want to talk about this? Because it's normal to emotionally regress when we're going to be spending time with our family of origin. Um, because these are the people who were there when you were developing your coping mechanisms. And these were the ones who were there before you developed your coping mechanisms. When they talk about pushing buttons, who knows better than your sibling how to get to you quickly? 
Um, who knows how to shut you down with just a look besides one of your parents? There are things that the first things that we learned, we learned from these people. So being around the same smells in the same environment with the same people with the same behaviors frequently will bring up these, these childish, childlike ways of perceiving what's happening around you and ways of responding to it. So the holiday time is particularly triggering because of what I'm calling the high investment and lower defenses. And by high investment, what I mean is the exorbitant expense of traveling during the holidays and the sacrifice of our personal preferences and the cost of our limited vacation time. There's a sense of this better be worth it because we invested a lot of time and effort and energy. And then we hope things will be different this year than they were before. Huh? Good luck. And by lower defenses, what I mean is this, this assault to our immune system of traveling during cold and flu season this year, pandemic, um, going through crowded airports and on airplanes or long car trips with cranky kids and their cranky grownups, the assault to our nervous system of keeping our moods positive while combating seasonal affective disorder. It's like we're spent before we even arrive, quote, home, unquote. Uh, that's not even to mention all the sugar and the alcohol and the poor sleep that, that happens after we get there. So it's kind of no wonder everyone seems touchy and defensive. This year especially, because there's, there's a lot of increased conflict with the politics and perceptions on the pandemic, and there's a lot of uncertainty, a lot of us versus them. If you're not with us, you're against us kind of thinking. So while we want to find this safe refuge of going home and then under best of circumstances, it's not unusual for you or someone else to get triggered going home. This year, things seem more heated. They seem more- Right, I, I feel like they seem more important because we, are isolated from each other and the investment is even higher if you're gonna make and take the risk of traveling. Sure. And then you can layer on all those other things like, you know, politics and, mm -hmm. um, you know, too much, just the normal holiday stress. This, this year is like completely um, magnified because of the pandemic. Right. So, yeah. so it so is definitely- If, you, if people a, even are going home for the holidays this year. And that triggers a whole nother thing. If you're one of the ones in the family who moved away, you're not even gonna come back or you come back and you wanna wear a mask, but no one else in the family is, that there's a whole lot of interesting dynamics that are gonna be happening this year. And I just want our listeners to be fortified with some extra tools before venturing into the oh so familiar. <laughs> right, right. The normal, the normal, um, yeah emotional time travel bad enough but let's yeah. listen add on the pandemic mm -hmm. with that and every the politics year, every year i get i get these calls this time of year saying oh crap it we're past halloween it's it's coming i'm gonna go gonna go visit the family and he's gonna do what he always does what do i do i get those calls every year this year i'm getting panicky calls i'm waking up with four urgent messages in the morning waiting for me on my phone there's a lot of anxiety so you can tell, you can tell it's even heightened this it's year, different. more so than normal. Yeah. 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 Well, let's talk a little bit about it. Let's, let's, let's just kind of jump into the, the meat of it here. So, you know, we have good traditions in my family. Um, we tend to go to my partner's family over Thanksgiving. Um, and then we spend Christmas here with my family here in Colorado. Mm -hmm. um, and it's pretty, you know, I don't dread it. It's like in our family, we definitely have our specific roles that we play. Um, 
but we're all pretty comfortable with them. And I would have to say, I feel very fortunate and the holidays are good. And we try very hard to be respectful of differences of political opinion. Um, even so much that we have code words when we feel one family member is going to go off on the rails. So then one of us, and it's usually me because that's my role is I'll come in and I'll change the subject. I'll defer it. Right. I'll say, Nope, not going here. And, uh, you know, and everyone moves on for the mm -hmm. most part. So far, we haven't had any major blowups in a while. Not to say that they don't happen because they have, but we try really hard to, as I said earlier, to kind of, you know, be grown up about it, right? Um, you know, I will say though, learning, um, as our listeners may or may not know, I'm in a relatively new relationship for or five years now. And learning that family dynamic was very, very interesting too. Mm -hmm. And seeing how that played out and watching the, um, the emotional time travel there. So totally understand it. And it's very different. And I'm sure some of our listeners have this perspective as well yeah. of being an observer of mm -hmm. a family dynamic that's going through this emotional time travel. Sure. sure. And I love that you brought that up because uh, that is one of the things that I was hoping that we would touch on is I want to focus on your own family, but there's a whole nother dynamic to being the, the partner or spouse or stepchild uh, the significant other in their family of origin, because what's your role supposed to be? I love that you use the word roles, Kat. That's a really good example. I was actually going to talk about something similar called the archetypes. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. You've heard about archetypes? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Great tool. It's a really wonderful tool because, you know, the theory is that we all have these sub-personalities. It's a theory by Carl Jung, and it's believed that we have these sub-personalities, these inner characters that spring into action when they get activated. So I put a shout out to our listeners uh, who were great in responding. Thank you very much, everybody. And there were so many that I found, uh, I wanted to narrow them down to the ones that I was hearing most often. So uh, I've got 10 examples of uh, different subpersonalities that seem to pop up a whole lot around a whole lot of different people's families. And uh, I wonder if this is going to be applicable to our listeners today. So the first yes. one that popped up was an archetypal rebel. And he told me about being raised in a very strict religious family, very dogmatic family. Um, he said that this concept of right and wrong and good and bad and heaven and hell and what's acceptable and what's unacceptable was so rigid and so dogmatic that it wasn't just a matter of acceptable or unacceptable to the religion. It was a matter of whether or not you are acceptable or unacceptable. And as a teenager, um, she rebelled against this religion yeah. and subsequently was rejected by her family and cut off until she was told you either believe what we believe or you better be able to at least convincingly fake it so it doesn't confuse the younger children. It was fit in or get lost, which is a scary thing from your family of origin. Right. Um, mm -hmm. The second one, and I heard this one a lot, it was the archetypal good girl or the archetypal good boy. Um, this particular woman told me about growing up with a sister who had borderline personality disorder. And for anyone who doesn't know what that is, frequently the what shows up with borderline personality disorder is uh, a paralyzing fear of being abandoned, uh, some volatile behavior, very reactionary and frequently, you know, dramatic, loud, sometimes really aggressive. In this 
particular person's case, that was the situation. So her sister's need took up all of the parents' resources and all of the parents' energy, and it just left them exhausted. So the good girl never caused any problems at all, and she acted like she didn't have any needs of her own her whole childhood. And this caused her to need to be perfect and never ask for anything, and this behavior continues into her 40s. Right. Another one was the archetypal knight, which sounds all dashing and charming, but it's actually a kind of a paralyzing thing. This, this person uh, spent their entire childhood developing a codependent and hyper-protective relationship with his mother and his little sister when their alcoholic father abandoned the family for another woman. And he became the man of the family for his mom and the great protector, that's what she calls him, the great protector for his sister. Both are 100% dependent and they rely on him every day for 45 years. Wow, that's a lot, a lot to carry, yeah. It's a lot, it's a lot. And he doesn't know what his role is if that's not his role. So they all play their role. They all play their dynamic. This one is the, the princess, the damsel in distress. Um, and the mother is, you know, this, um, I guess she's in victim mentality after all of these years. And his job is to for, forsake everyone and everything else and focus all of his devotion on them, which is really sweet, but he might want to have his own partners or his own life or his own career or, you know, but no, 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 he has to be devoted or their worlds fall apart. Um, another one that I heard a lot was what I call the archetypal orphaned child. Um, mm. That's someone who feels neglect, whether it was accurate or not, their perception of being neglected as a child carries on into adulthood. This particular person told me that she watched her parents favor a younger sibling from the age of four. And she felt abandoned and she felt neglected and unseen and unloved, which made her feel like she's un unseeable and unlovable for her whole life. She said, this leads to a uh, bitterness and a lifelong expectation of disappointment. And it sometimes causes such a feeling of resentment toward the assumed favored child and rejection from the parents that it makes her wish she was just invisible so she wouldn't have to be so unfairly disregarded, which was heartbreaking. Yeah. Heartbreaking to hear. Um, a few others, this, this one, I love this. This one person told me that they love going home for the holidays. This is how they get activated. She takes on the archetype of the eternal child because it's the only time that she lets herself truly indulge in the fantasy of being carefree and responsibility-free temporarily. She savors the warm cookies served on a familiar platter and watches Christmas movies while lying on the sofa in her pajamas. And she savors the snow falling outside the window and the lights on the tree and drinking cocoa that her uh, once a year doting grandmother delightfully serves by the fire and she excitedly tears into wrapping paper and is just thrilled with her presence, whether they're awesome or not. And she told me she takes great joy in making this truly a vacation from the realities of adult life for one week a year. She just lets herself be a happy child once again, oh. which was wonderful. I, that's not one I hear very often. So I wanted I to like throw that, that in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, that's, that's pretty ideal. If everyone in your family is willing to play that game with you where you get to do that, that's wonderful. I wonder if her siblings or anybody else in the family has, has issues around this, but that's theirs. So this one guy told me about being the family's archetypal entertainer yeah. and his, his role is to be the delightful one, the performer who keeps everybody entertained because it's what they expect from him. And he's, it's familiar and everyone seems to appreciate the emotional distraction. 
So uh, the only time it's a real challenge for him is when he's around his parents and his small children at the same time, because navigating his parents' delightful child and his children's disciplinarian is a very fine line sometimes. I imagine that would be that'd be a hard thing to carry home after the holidays. It's how come you get to talk during dinner and we have to whatever, whatever the kids are. So a couple others, there's this archetypal prostitute. And the prostitute is, is one of the basic human self-defense mechanism archetypes. Yeah. Everyone has to about prostitute. The, we've talked about the prostitute before. Yeah, the prostitute is the one who figures out what do I need to give to get what it is that I need? What do I have to do to get what it is I want? Um, so this archetypal prostitute that I was speaking with told me that she was the only extrovert in a family of introverts and in desperate need of connection. She learned to assess quickly what others might want so that she could try to satisfy their preferences without them having to even actually tell her what they wanted. And all the while, she was pretty sure that what they really wanted for her was for her to shut up and go away. Mm -hmm. So uh, telling me that she felt like she was just a lifetime of trying to psychically guess what people wanted. And if you're right, there's no acknowledgement. And if you're wrong, they're mad or you get even more ignored. So that was, that was a tough one. There was this archetypal victim who said that he dreads holiday gatherings from even before Halloween, because uh, even into his late thirties, his parents continued to be emotionally and verbally abusive with no respect for boundaries. And despite being a world traveler, a respected professional with a good career and great friends, he says being with family is like being back in high school without any say or freedom to make his own choices. He feels obligated to spend the holidays with family despite the anticipatory anxiety of knowing the abuse is coming at least once every single visit. A lot of people might feel that. And in some situations, it's very accurate. So yeah. um, I wanna address that later, this idea of obligation. Final two sweeping umbrella examples that I heard. One was the archetypal servant or mommy's little helper. I hear that phrase a lot, mommy's little helper. Um, and she told me about being the primary live-in caregiver for both of her elderly parents. She receives no help, actual, emotional, or financial from her siblings and dreads their visits from out of town once a year because they act like they're doing everyone a favor and they treat her like a servant or a slave. They demand that she take care of everything for them in advance so they can just show up, visit with their parents, second guess all of her choices in their parents' care and leave a mess, actual, emotional, and financial in their wake and in their return to their lives elsewhere. And there she sits, mommy's little helper, cleaning up after everybody. And then finally, there's the archetypal villain, who's not really a villain at all. This gentleman I was speaking with had the audacity to leave his hometown for college and upon graduation accepted a good job out of state. He's the only college graduate in the family and he's often shamed by his family for being successful with comments like, you abandoned us, now you think you're better than us. Who do you think you are, Mr. High and Mighty? And the subtext is pretty obviously that if you choose to live a life different from ours, you're judging us and you're a villain to be despised and punished. So every one of these people has a story. Sometimes the story is accurate. Sometimes it was, but it isn't anymore. Sometimes it never really was anything more than the perception of a child without maturity or experience or perspective. But Every one of these people has particular sensitivities that cause them to be triggered. And when that happens, like any of us, they can regress back to a less mature way of behaving around others of emotional regression. So, so let me, I'm going to ask a question here sure. that that's not necessarily the focus of this 
particular podcast, sure. but it is a question that needs to be asked. Mm-hmm. Why then do we go home if we're going to be faced with these very unpleasant, very, you know, heart-wrenching, abusive things? I mean, why do we feel compelled that we have to do this? And sure. instead of just saying, hey, here's your Harry and David's gift basket, mm-hmm. you know, hope all well. <laughs> people do. And for some people, that is the right choice. Um, but as I, as I was saying, sometimes these stories are accurate and it continues to this day to actually happen. Sometimes this is what happened when you were a child and it doesn't happen anymore. But the expectation of it happening is enough to get people really edgy and expecting it. It kind of comes down to that um, confirmation bias. We, mm. we see what we expect to see. And if what we expect to see is your father's going to be a bully at some point then even if your father didn't do anything, you might feel bullied or maybe he does, maybe he does. But it's a lot of it does come down to perception. But in answer to your question, I think even more, it comes down to these, what we think are societal expectations of the pressure from the family that, um, you know, going back not far, I mean, only just to pre-industrial times, the, the family was the focus. The family was the most important thing. There was the family farm. You have more kids, so there's more people to be on the family farm. And if you have something better to do, then stay here and work on the family farm. Well, mm-hmm, don't come home and expect there's going to be food on the table for you. So right. this, this idea of, of tribe, this idea of, of family for the entirety of our history until fairly recently was sometimes the difference between life and death for everybody. If you weren't there doing your role, if you weren't there playing your part or putting in your effort, you were abandoning the whole family and you don't belong here. And the threat back then of being kicked out, of being isolated, um, like we talked about in some of the podcasts before, Mm -hmm. this need for approval, this, this need to fit in is primal. So for many people, it's kind of better the devil you know than the devil you don't. What if you if you don't go home, if you just say, here's your Harry and David gift bag or gift basket, what are they going to think? What are they going to say about you behind the table? Are you going to be welcome to come back? Are they going to treat someone else different? I, I frequently hear about someone who goes home to an abusive situation because if they don't, then the siblings are going to get it. So they take the role of family protector. Right, right, right. So there's a lot of different reasons why someone would or would not go home. And I think it's really valuable for anyone to, as as objectively as possible, evaluate how much of this is real and current now, how much of this is my story, and how much of this is my reality. And if it's the reality, is there anything I can do to mitigate the way that this feels and my responses to it, which is why you and I are having this chat today, because yes, there are, and we will get there. Well, let's, let's start launching into this. First of all, let's break down the, the term emotional regression. Mm-hmm. What is yeah. it and why do we do it? Oh, it's just a lot of psychobabble. <laughs> <laughs> emotional regression was actually a phrase coined by uh, Freud and later absconded by some of the other uh, psychologists. So emotional regression is how we tend to act in ways that are hypersensitive. It's like the reaction just doesn't fit the event. And we find ourselves reacting disproportionately to something someone says or does. Um, we go back in time in our ability to cope with stress because something triggers or affects, touches a a tender nerve. 
on something that takes you straight back to when you experienced that when you were younger, when you felt triggered and felt vulnerable. And it causes a, a momentary or even prolonged, um, I don't wanna use the word regression again. It's, it's a time warp. It takes you back to that earlier time in life as if someone has accessed a well-hidden panic button in your psyche and your automatic response reverts back to one from adolescence or early childhood. Some people, rarely, some people are known to actually regress back to fetal. If something startles them enough, they'll, they'll curl up on the floor in a fetal position and whimper. That's rare though. Most often what happens is someone goes back to early childhood and shuts down or cries or has a tantrum or they revert back to adolescence when they're starting to learn things like sarcasm and snide and passive aggressive behavior. That's, that's more normal. But remember your subconscious mind is roughly 90% of your brain's power. This is your default, your automatic pilot. And your subconscious mind doesn't discern past from present or positive from negative or fantasy from reality to your subconscious mind, which holds all the memories, not all of which are accurate. It's, it's more like if it's crossing your mind right now, it's happening now. So if an unpleasant memory or sensation is resurfacing, you might respond as if that's a threat to your safety or your security right. imminent right here, right now. Right. So in the back of your mind, that... Mm -hmm. Because that memory is being triggered, that subconscious mind is feeling it now. And yeah. it has that same fight, flight, or mm -hmm. freeze response mm -hmm. that you would have if it were happening, even though it happened 20, 30, 50 years ago. Sure, sure, absolutely. Or even if it didn't happen to you, um, because we have found through neurological studies that someone who witnesses a kindness has the same neurological effect on their brain as someone who performed a kindness or was the recipient of a kindness. And the same thing goes for a cruelty. Um, mm -hmm. That's why in some abusive families, one of the people in the family is the one who gets it. If anyone does something wrong, this one gets it because the, the, the pain and the fear of cruelty affects anyone who's witness to it. So right. even if we're not talking about abuse, the desire to not rock the boat and not make that happen can cause a, a lot of a lot of anxiety. Um, and it's also pretty interesting to to note a lot of people don't know this and I tend to forget not all of our memories are visual or auditory. Sometimes we remember things by how they made us feel like a smell can evoke a strong emotion out of your memory as can a song or a flavor or a silent glare from a family member. And the right. part of our brain responsible for that fight, flight, freeze can autopilot itself into high alert. So when that happens, our logical mind just kind of takes a temporary break and we react as we did as an immature child before that part of our more developed brain discovered better coping skills than crying or shutting down or having a tantrum or being sarcastic or you know, bullying in any way. We, we, we can just automatically revert back because of where we are or who we're with or the smells and sensations around us. Right. They're so powerful that yeah. our subconscious mind just brings that all to the forefront. Absolutely. You know, yeah. So one of my, one of my favorite, favorite psychologists uh, had this quote, one of the best ones I've heard. His name was uh, Jean Piaget. And he said, reality is that which the child perceives it to be. So what that means is when the brain is in its reactive state, there's no convincing your inner child that there's no monster under the bed. The monster is real and the grown up mind just can't see it. So if right. you expect, if it's a child, you learn to expect, if she has a third drink, it's going to get loud and scary. Then when the, that person has their first drink, you get a little edgy. And if they you have a second drink, you, you want to run for the hills. 
even though this person is now, you know, they're, they're 68 years old and they're drinking near beer or whatever, you'll, you'll still go into that same reality that the child perceived when that imprint happened. And as I said, that cognitive bias pretty much guarantees you'll experience what you expect to experience based on your experiences. That and can this be transferred? So like if you have this experience in your primary family, your family of origin, as you call it, mm-hmm. and you're then at someone else's family, is it something that you can, that you transfer those things over to another family and you're like, oh my gosh, I all, all the expectations of what happened in my family of origin mm-hmm. have to be happening over here too? Is that a a hundred percent yes, a hundred thousand million percent yes, and it's not just within families. In in a lot of office dynamics, it starts to feel like a family. This one takes on the role of the father, and this one takes on the role of the weird uncle that you don't want to be working overtime alone with, and this one takes on the role of the whiny little sister. So these family dynamics show up not just in the home where you grew up in the family of origin, but the family that you take on through your relationships and other relationships outside as well. I was on the subway once and there was a man who sat down just a few, just a bit down from me, he was sitting on the opposite side and he didn't look anything like him, but the shape of his eyes and the way that he moved his face reminded me of an uncle that I used to be scared of for no reason. This uncle never did anything to me, but I always found him intimidating. And this person on the subway was enough like him that even with all my understanding of how these dynamics work, I got off at the next stop and went to a different car because I just didn't need to be triggered that day by a complete stranger. (laughs) Yes, I would say it's 100% transferable for sure. And that's why it's so valuable. Some people say, why not just go home? Because these are your dynamics. These are your Right, you're not going to escape them. Mm -hmm. You're not going to escape them by not going home Mm -hmm. or by pretending, you know, Right. That didn't happen or however it is. But but I want to answer this question because this mm-hmm. is a fundamental human condition. And one thing I found in my life, if, if I can understand the why, I can deal with it a whole lot better, mm-hmm. right? So so why do we do this? Why can't we just, you know, move on, get over it? I'm a successful, happy, very well-adjusted person. Why mm-hmm. do I need to fall apart when I go home for Christmas? Why? Well, it certainly isn't that you have to fall apart when you go home, but there's just something about these are your earliest programmings. These are the earliest, earliest imprints, and these are the initial triggers. So it would be kind of like if you're familiar with uh, Pavlov's dogs, that the story about uh, these oh, yeah. experiments that were done, yeah, with the dogs and they'd ring a bell and the dog would start salivating and then they get food and eventually all you do is ring the bell and the dog would start salivating whether there was food or not. We're programmed. We are behavioral, behaviorally uh, inclined beings, and that's just how we work. So, if you want to change your dynamic with someone that you work with at the office, who's nothing like anyone you've ever known before, their reality is so far off of yours, and they don't trigger anything in you. That's great. But then there's that person in the elevator who really reminds you of that first boyfriend who broke your heart. And you try to avoid getting in the elevator with them. These things make deep imprints and there are ways to move past it, but it's not easy. It's only a whole lot easier than trying to get somebody else to change. Right, right. Yeah. Okay, so here we are. We have all of this 
this emotional baggage, these triggers, these things, we feel obligated or we really genuinely want to go home Mm -hmm. and genuinely want to do something different. What can we do? How do we, how do we break this into little bite-sized steps so that we can be successful? Mm. Uh, one thing, be aware of your cognitive biases, which is a phrase that we're hearing a whole lot in the in the political climate and with the social media. And we tend to be re-exposed to the same things over and over again. We hear the same opinions over and over again. And understanding somebody else's point of view can be really hard. So right. if we're not talking about an abusive situation, because that's a whole different thing. If we're not talking about an abusive situation, if we're talking about personality conflicts or some old baggage, um, then being aware of what what your cognitive biases are, what are you expecting to see? That historically mean father uh, doing that eye twitch thing before he insults or humiliates you. If you see that twitch, can you just leave the room? Um, your anxious little sister is... is uh, talking over you, telling a story, trying to get your parents' attention again, and you get angry and you try not to yell. Being aware of these are the things that trigger me. So when it starts to come up, there are some grounding exercises that we can do that will help you not get triggered by your critical aunt who's pointing out yet again that you're getting a little chubby and maybe you wanna pass on those Christmas cookies or you'll never get a man and and you try not to cry because your feelings are hurt. You feel threatened like a child. So um, you remember that podcast that we did a few months back where we talked about the emotional and social triggers, the SCARS model? I was definitely going to suggest our listeners go back and take a, and listen to that one. Even if you've heard it, go listen Mm -hmm. to it again, because a lot of this is totally addressed in that one. Absolutely. Absolutely. So for anyone who didn't happen to hear that one yet, yeah, do go back and listen. SCARF model, S status, certainty, C, A, autonomy. R, relatability, and F, for fairness. And knowing what your biggest triggers are and mitigating them before the family event can help minimize your reaction to those same stimuli, even if the stimulus that uncle or sister or grandmother doesn't change, your response to it does. And wouldn't that be excellent? Yeah, we are in control of one thing, and that is our own selves and our own responses. Yep, yep. That's it. And and I want to encourage anyone who's, uh, gonna gonna endeavor to do this really keeping in mind you're not going to change anybody else if you change you that might help change the entire situation but it certainly will change it for you right because um, we can't we can't change anybody else despite our best efforts we're, we're not going to guilt somebody into it or maybe even educate somebody else into it if we haven't done the work ourselves so a lot of us have been doing work on ourselves you know in various, methodologies for a very long time. Why do we get so triggered when we go back home? Why with them? Now it makes a lot more sense. So yeah, like you were asking, what can we do about it? Um, So the first thing I suggest, know yourself now and be your now self. Know yourself now. Be yourself now, your grown-up self. Be your now self. Again, If this is abusive, you are not obligated to participate. You have absolutely no social or family obligation to be victimized or brutalized emotionally, physically, psychologically, ever, never. So all of these suggestions are not pertaining to this is abusive. It's abusive. You keep your distance. The end. The end. Um, And if we're not talking about 
you know, an actual fear of, uh, of being brutalized or victimized, then knowing yourself now and being your now self. And if uh, these people in your life that you feel obligated to be with feel obligated to be with you too, then being the best version of you that you can be, the, the best version of you more confident, more articulate, more patient, more resilient, more easygoing, more than they've ever seen before. And eventually there might be some kickback but eventually they might catch on that this is actually who you are. Because a lot of times what happens is we feel like we change, but we assume that they don't. Or they feel like they've changed, but they assume that we don't. So we're triggering each other's you know, fragile egos or, or inner child or, or the archetypes that, that get triggered so easily. So it can be very possible for two people in this dynamic to both feel like they're the ones who are being wronged. When in fact, outside that relationship, they're both getting so much right. Can you bring your best, the best version of yourself you've found so far? Um, another suggestion is allowing yourself and maybe your family also to change or modernize one tradition or more, but one tradition so it's novel and inclusive of who you all are now. Or for example, watch a different movie if you always watch the same thing or unwrap gifts by the fire in the evening instead of first thing in the morning so late sleepers or cross time zone travelers can get some much needed rest. Um, if most of the family is trying to eat healthier, um, then you can make or bring healthier side dishes than the normal traditional ones, healthier desserts, if absolutely necessary. Then this new tradition can be before or after the visit with or without others. But letting yourself, letting yourself have Something's different than it always has been. We'll start setting that neuroplastic situation in your mind, that, that plasticity. You can start to change what you expect because this isn't what we always do. This isn't this isn't what we normally have. Rather than getting pissed off at the aunt who's gluten-free, break some of this gluten-free and honor who she is now. This one's a vegan now. Make one vegan dish without having attitude about, you know, cousin Susan who thinks she's all vegan now I'm all vegan. Just have a vegan dish available. Let there be something that is different so your brain can start to go, oh, wait, something can be different? Huh. Um, third thing, maintain reasonable expectations because um, it's unlikely that those members of your family that you see as stressors are doing the work that you are doing to improve your emotional and psychological well being. Their behavior may or may not change, and you can only focus on your state of mind. Um, so if you are able to, again, not in abusive situation, this weights in that, but otherwise, um, forgiveness, focusing on forgiveness, because that doesn't mean that what they did or what they do is okay. It simply means that you are choosing not to carry it around. You acknowledge your natural feelings or your natural responses, and then gently set them down and let it go. Um, I heard this phrase once, I loved it, it said, um, Carrying resentment is like drinking poison and waiting for somebody else to die. <laughs> yeah, that's an amazing, amazing uh, little yeah. metaphor right there. Drinking I love it. I love it. So you can, you, can choose. you can choose your response and it takes practice. It takes so much practice because nothing triggers you like the original family, but it's possible. And then if you choose, you can bring up the issue later when there's not the audience and there's not all the holiday expectations and it's less reactive because um, you can change you and only you. And that's not easy. So right. 
focus on you first. So uh, wrecking everything in, in, in a big scene at the holidays. Mm-hmm. That yeah. sometimes seems to be like the outcome, the penultimate in, a, in some of these situations where, you know, it's just going to end up in a big family brawl. And yeah. the next day, everyone walks, wakes up and leaves the house and goes or, their separate Or the more, the more subverted ones where, you know, one person pops or one person says or does something that's not okay. And then everyone just gets awkward. Right. And it just stays awkward while people still try to go through the same traditions as if nothing happened. So there's a whole lot of different ways this can go down, but you being in control of you helps you be part of the solution and not part of the problem. And if the only problem solved is how you feel, that's, that's great. That's huge. Right. Uh, so a couple of things to take away here. Mm-hmm. Definitely bring your best self to the picture, your authentic self, you know, mm-hmm. don't, uh, I, I sometimes think people are like, oh, well, I've got to really, you know, it's kind of like going to your high school reunion. You got to really have some success and all this mm-hmm. stuff, but it's more about being authentic and bringing your higher state of being to the, to the event, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Be your best yep. self, be your authentic self. And be confident in that, right? And it takes practice, you know, easier said than done, but it is doable. So I've got three three others. What can I do? What can I do? One is self-care. Um, set boundaries in advance, like maybe get a rental car so that if you need to just step out for a few minutes, you can do that and not have to go into like a blizzard or the middle of a city where you don't know where you are or something. Give yourself these these options to have these boundaries in advance. Don't overdo it. Maybe for now you visit for a shorter period of time or you relax in your own space later into the morning or earlier in the evening. You can go for walks, go for drives, read a book in a quiet nearby room so you're not removing yourself but you're not in it all of the time. Um, Drink your water, sleep your sleep, bring a favorite robe from home, have long showers. Just let yourself have the opportunity to get a little space to, to take care of yourself. Another one, letting this be an improvement over the last time, the last visit. Let your attitude, your behaviors, your expectations be the first improvement. No family actually lives the Norman Rockwell painting. And as I said, this whole, this is what the holidays are supposed to look like is based on the 1940s. Things have changed that over the river and through the woods to grandmother's house we go with the horse that, you know, somehow magically knows how to get the carriage there. (laughs) We're on crowded flights now with a pandemic going on. We're on crowded highways with traffic. and, And there's a lot of reasons why it's not this idyllic little fantasy that that the whole 1940s imagery is supposed to do. All those songs that we consider the classics and all the old classic movies, all of that is 1940s stuff. And I mean, if we're really honest with ourselves, this um, It's a Beautiful Life, but a wonderful classical, classic uh, Christmas movie. Yeah, as if we forget about the whole oh so charming Jimmy Stewart flipping out on his wife and storming out and like jumping off a bridge to commit suicide before the happy ending where the, the wings happen. You know, there's, there was some drama going on back then. Yeah. So that's best about that movie is it shows that drama, right? Right. Right. So this whole, everybody gets along all the time and there's no drama and there's no 
anguish and there's no obligation and there's no pressure, that's never been accurate. Right. Um, so finally, and maybe most valuable, and these are the things that I'm going to want to be reinforcing in the guided meditation that, that we offer. Um, what do I actually do? These are wonderful in theory. What do I actually do? First thing, first posture, stand up straight, hold your head high, embody that, that higher state of being for yourself. Give, your, give yourself neurologically and physiologically the opportunity. Because if you're telling yourself, I'm good, I'm fine, I'm being a good version of myself, but you're curled over like fetal position or whimpering in the bathroom behind the toilet, you're probably not really buying it. So let your body resonate with what you're trying to do with your energy and your emotions. Secondly, give yourself an anchor. Um, it might be a little a little rock that you keep in your pocket, or you put your, your middle finger and your thumb together, or you something. So you can give yourself an actual physical anchor to connect to. This is what I'm doing now. And the thing I do after this is exhale, focus on the exhales. When you're focusing on the exhales, then you soften your jaw, focus on the exhales, soften that butt clench, focus on the exhale, soften your hips and your shoulders and your hands and your feet. Focus on the exhale, soften your gaze and exhale slowly at least three times, exhale slowly. And remember, my response is my choice. I cannot control all of the stimuli, but my response is my choice. And this will reset you neurologically so you can do a take two, or at least you can do a catch your breath, re-emerge and handle it the way that you would rather be handling things. Again, it's a practice, but better to get started practicing than yet another year wishing it was different. Exactly. Exactly. So we, even in the 1940s, we had drama, we had stress, we had financial crises, there were pandemics. The human race has been through this over and over again. And I think it's important to remember that while it feels like this is an isolated just me incident mm -hmm. that it is part of our human discovery, our human growth. Sure and if we can bring our higher self to the table, and I mean the table with a Thanksgiving dinner and everything on it <laughs> without also bringing self-righteousness and indignation and all these mm -hmm. other things, but this authentic, open, higher self we change us, everything changes around us. We change ourselves, everything changes around us. And that's something that I've experienced over and over again in my life in many, many ways. We talk about mm -hmm. it all the time, but it does take work and it does take acceptance and forgiveness. As you said, that's, a, I think, a very, very important word to bring to the Thanksgiving table, not only thanks, but forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's... That's very good. Gratitude and forgiveness. And yeah. I, a lot of people do have this conception of I'm not ready to forgive what they did was not forgivable. Okay. But let it go from you. This, this anxious two months before you even go, that's not hurting anybody but you. That's not affecting right. anything else. So how balanced, how stable, how uh, unencumbered can you get yourself so that when you go, you're not carrying all of the stuff you've been carrying for months or years, you're reacting to what's actually happening right now. And sometimes it's not as extreme as it might have felt otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. 
So let's um, let's summarize all this for our listeners. This has been a very big topic, and I know there's a, a lot of, you know, I think there's several as you were describing the archetypes that I identified with personally. So it's not just like, like one thing and you're done. There's there's several roles sure. that we might play. Sure, sure. But what are the final thoughts on this? How can we? I'll give one right off the bat, and that is don't stop your meditation practice if you have one. Even if it's five minutes before you have to walk out of the room and face the crowd, the family, do it. You know, um, the other strategy that I have is I take my gratitude journal with me and I diligently write in it every single night because that really centers me back into that gratitude. And why I am here with my family, all the good things that did happen that day or that I appreciate about the people I'm with. So my final thoughts would be those two things. Keep your meditation, even if it's only two or three minutes a morning or evening, whenever you can get to it. Mm -hmm. And definitely focus on the gratitude piece of things. Yeah, absolutely. And for those who, uh, oh, I really should be meditating more. I really should be meditating more. I really want to encourage you review and uh, keep coming back to these guided meditations. Yes. Especially the one that we're going to be offering now. I'm, I'm, I plan to record one that's lengthy in case you really need to go deep. And then one that's going to be a little bit shorter in case you just need a little like, oh, I only have six minutes, but I need a, a little boost. I'd like those to be available to our listeners. Right. But let Book yourself... Market. Hmm? Mark it on your phone. Have it right there ready to go when you need right? it. <laughs> I mean, may as well. And who in your family can you share this with? You're not the only one. You're not the only one who feels this way. It's unusual to to be the kind of family that everybody is so happy that they're there and there's no interpersonal conflict at all. And every year it's always so good. You know, normal is some of it's great. Some of it's fine, kind of boring. And every once in a while, there's a little blow up. Um, So just having this available to you or whoever you think it might help and repeat and practice this daily as needed for a minimum of one week before spending the time with these people that you feel the triggers with. The, uh, there's going to be several links under the show notes. There were a lot of articles that I found that were written very simply. It's not academic highbrow kind of stuff. It's just easily, easily accessible. So I want to put these links under the show notes. And again, I can't stress enough. If we're talking about abuse, get out. The answer is no. The answer is no. Right. It's a choice. Do I put myself in this position to be victimized or brutalized or not? The answer is not. But if what we're talking about is not abuse, but discomfort, it's uncomfortable, then you can shift your position or your perspective or your attitude or your behavior and get more comfortable. And when you feel more comfortable, a lot of the people around you are going to feel more comfortable too. And that's going to have what you were just talking about. Hopefully the effect that it's nicer for everybody. And maybe you can be one of those families that God, every year it just gets better and better. Every year it gets better and better. Yes, definitely. There's so much to learn about ourselves through the emotional regression process. And I think the awareness of it, going into it with your eyes open and, and in that, that curiosity, that nature of discovery and saying, you know, what is it I can learn from this? What is it that's going to help me, you know, achieve a higher state of being? That's, that's a good strategy too, is like being, being what, being excited to learn and discover what more 
you can learn about yourself to grow, I think is a really, it's, I mean, you know me, Teddy, I'm always looking for the opportunity, right? What's the Always, always. What's the most good that I could do? What's the maximum good that I could do? That's, that's our cat. So, so that's something that to me is like, instead of dreading it, it's like, wow, I can go into it this time. I can get in the car, drive 15 hours and be there and learn more about myself and the people that I love in order to level up. Sure. Sure. These people that we see as our combatants are actually in some ways, our greatest, greatest teachers. And at the end of our lives, we can look back and go, wow, I would never have grown so much if I didn't have to overcome that. I would never have changed this dynamic and let my children see that I have been able to do this. And so, so can you. These these people that feel like our biggest challenges are often our greatest teachers and we just stubbornly don't want to learn. Right. But that's why we're here. Here we are. That is why we're here. (laughs) All right. Well, I wish all of our listeners an amazing, wonderful self-discovery holiday season. Um, I know this is going to be a different one. And so we're very respectful of everyone's challenges and and, um, emotions that are going to be happening this year, especially. But do a couple of things. Go back and listen to Emotional Triggers, the SCARF model. Um, We'll put a link into the show notes so it's easy to find, but it's right there on our podcast um, on all podcast players, that would be a really good one to review, um, download the meditations or have them bookmarked on your phone. So you've got easy access to them and just enjoy and relax. And as Teddy likes to say, exhale. Oh, is that what I like to say? You like to say that. I was curious what you were going to say. I was very excited to see where you were going. All right, everybody. (laughs) Apparently I like to say exhale and enjoy. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy Thanksgiving. All of the wonderful things to all of you. Thank you all for listening. And we will see you in December. Thank you for listening to Higher State of Being. We invite you to visit higherstateofbeing.com and become part of our community. Here you will find the guided meditations and resources to help you on your journey. Subscribe and get full access to all downloadable meditations, deeper resources, and much more. Visit higherstateofbeing.com.